It's time to swing into the golf world of today. I don't think I've had this much fun on a golf show. The Pro Show with Keith Stewart, sponsored by TaylorMade. Terrific voice, and you have enthusiasm. Now your host, the director of fun. Give me that guy all day. He's the best. Keith Stewart. Good afternoon, and welcome to The Pro Show. I'm your host, Keith Stewart, the director of fun. Thank you for tuning in to ESPN 920. Well, it's been two years since we've experienced an open championship. So for this event, it's definitely so far living up to the hype. The course is awesome and the leaderboard is stacked. Well, to help us get through this last major championship, we have a Hall of Famer, Hale Irwin. You can't stop us. This train's leaving the station. Let's go, Wade. Turn it up. This is definitely one of the best weeks of the year in golf, in my opinion. There's no doubt about it. The difference is the contrast and landscape, the way the game is played, even everything down to the commentators' voices at times on the radio. And it's just, it's so much fun to get to be a fan of golf during Open Championship Week. And this being the 149th version at Royal St. George's is definitely, as I said in the opening, living up to the hype because we've got a couple young superstars at the top of the leaderboard that definitely I I think the only downside to the media folks, Wade, is that most of the golf takes place before, you know, America has their coffee. Right, right, right. We're always we're always so prejudiced to the East Coast, which is five hours behind the action. But imagine you're out in L.A. You're eight hours behind, you know, yeah. you know, when the leaders tee off this weekend. Yeah. And uh, so it it's one of those cool things. And it reminds me, you know, I penned a little article for Stick and Hack this week talking about one of my favorite traditions of all time as a kid through my formative years and everything was to wake up early on Thursday and Friday of Open Championship Week, like early, early, like 435 in the morning. Okay. The house is silent. There's nobody around. It's dark outside. And I would turn on the TV and there was Mike Tirico's voice. That's cool. You know, since the late 90s, at least. And he's just telling stories and and covering the golf. And what was so interesting to me about it wasn't necessarily just the landscape and everything, but it was the idea that I wake up and I'm and I'm barely focused on anything. And I might pop on Tiger Woods, like in the middle of like the sixth hole like in full grind mode. Sure. Yeah. Right. And I'm in my pajamas <laughs> and you know, you know, a similar thing happened this morning because when I woke up early, got up about five right away, Colin Morikawa is in the middle of shooting 64. He makes seven birdies today in a bogey, but he is on fire. And the announcers are like, have you seen Colin Morikawa? And I'm like, no, I just got out of bed. <laughs> no. But like that tradition to me, because it's so different than the way we consume, um, other types of golf tournaments. I mean, think for an example, um, the the last U.S. Open was a West Coast U.S. Open and the Women's U.S. Open was a West Coast U.S. Open. So we we're watching golf at eight, nine o'clock at night. You know, we're watching the conclusion of these things in prime time on the East Coast. And now we've completely flipped the switch and now totally. it's in the morning. And I don't know. I, I just think it's a pretty cool thing. And, and you know what else is a cool thing that we have this week? We have Hale Irwin with us. 
Yes. And it's 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 an interesting story. I know we talked about this pre-show about how how all of this came together. But earlier this week, I got a text from a friend of mine and he said, hey, he goes, if you want to spend some time with Hale, he's around. He's visiting with the USGA. Of course, Hale's a five time USGA champion. He's got a U.S. Open to his credit in 74, 79 and 1990. You know, a lot of people make a big deal about Phil Mickelson being 50 and winning a PGA championship. Well, Hale was 45. In 1990 in Medina when he won the U.S. Open. And I mean, a U.S. Open's a grueling test. Not sure. that the ocean course wasn't for Phil, but, you know, Phil's got things like CBD and gum and stuff these days, you know, to get him through it. And, you know, and Hale was um, being Hale. So uh, he's a five-time USGA champion. So he was in town up there in uh, north central Jersey there at Far Hills at uh, Golf House talking to them. I think he was doing something with the museum. And uh, I had this opportunity to jump in front of him, and I got to sit down with Hale Irwin, which was pretty cool, yeah, man. That's cool. Yeah. 1990, all he had was like Jolt Cola to keep him going. Yeah. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah. And <laughs> that's, you, 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 basically, you got no notice for this interview either, essentially. No, no notice. No notice. This was... Um, this was uh, putting the director of fun to the test. Because sure. you, you texted me telling me, I got Hal. I said, okay, cool. Which day? What time? You no, know, it's done. Oh, okay. It's done. Yeah. <laughs> you, do, you did it. Yeah. Wait a second. How, when, yeah. when did this all? So it really came together quickly. Yeah. And we sat at a table together and uh, we were at a local golf course and he was going to play that later that afternoon. Um, they were nice enough to get me, you know, a half an hour with him. So uh, we have this really, really poignant discussion. And we talk about the future of the game, his U.S. Opens. Uh, certainly, we talk a little bit about the Open Championship and his experiences there. He had a good record there. He didn't go there a ton. And, you know, I'm not going to um, uh, give away what he has to say sure. about that. But he went 11 times and made 11 cuts. I mean, he's he's a solid player. And, you know, speaking of solid players, we've got guys like Jordan Spieth and Colin Morikawa, who have already mentioned, at the top of this leaderboard with – some others, Louis Oosthuizen, of course, hanging around, and it's it's just one of those things where you gotta you gotta just believe that when you have a good championship golf course, the cream always rises to the top. And I am really interested in to see where all these storylines go for the weekend. As for now, you know, some of the big guns haven't shown up. You know, I was happy to see our man Tony Fee now. You know where he be now? Well, he's he's be on the leaderboard this week, which is which is good for him. And you know the the golf course and the staff there are doing a tremendous job. Uh, you know, in this media age of 2021, it's difficult to tell stories from. You know, I think a lot of the Golf Channel is in um, over here in the states, and then not everyone is there on the property. And you know, we still have a lot of challenges, and we've we've talked week after week about the restrictions over there for COVID sure. and so on and so forth, and what's been going on with the Open Championship. But there's been some great stuff, and there was two quick things that I caught. Uh, from round one that I wanted to have some fun with that, you know, they were just quick ones. So they're not um, uh, necessarily worthy of a weekly update storyline. Got it. But uh, our man, Kevin Kisner, who after two rounds is under par. So good job by him. But the hat that he wore uh, during round one on the front of it said 1776. It did it. Yeah, it did. <laughs> Love that guy. Unbelievable. Good for him. Yeah. I, I was doing a little uh, uh, betting content earlier in the week, and he was one of my long shots because he's played well lately. He's had a couple of top tens uh, recently, Travelers, Rocket. And uh, so he's been playing well. He's a good ball striker, and St. George's is going to definitely um, reward ball strikers. But uh, when I saw that clip yesterday in social media That's right great. there, it's just, just awesome. Another good one was, uh, you know, Jordan Spieth 
had a historic opening round yesterday. Shoot 65 to start the thing off. And they get him in the press room afterwards. And the woman who's asking the question, she's basically trying to get at how he feels about the fans. And she says, you know, the fans have been fantastic. And Jordan, under his breath, he goes, well, yeah, pardon the pun. And she says, excuse me? And and I'm like thinking to myself, you know what? We have now been through, this will be our fourth major to digest without Tiger Woods, yeah. right? There's just no Tiger stories whatsoever. I, I'm i getting to love Jordan, you know? I, I think that because of the depths of his problems that he reached <laughs> over the last couple of years, that he has a good appreciation of his place right now. Yeah. And, and I think that... Um, to me, that makes it really enjoyable, and and at and, you know at the end of the day, um, golf's going to need some stars, and um, sooner or later, Phil is going to ride off into the sunset. He'll still be there on social media for us to comment on, but I think Jordan is is a good Make star. He's a, a definitely case. a good star for the game. Um, he's quick witted. Uh, he presents himself well, and I think he's a, just a, just a wonderful role model and ambassador for the game in, in a modern sense. And certainly, Colin Morikawa is too. And and I can't wait to see these two these I, well, I can't wait to see these two duel it out this weekend. It's gonna it's gonna be something to watch. And Royal St. George's will be quite the test. And you know what? Um, one last thing about that. You know, when it comes to something like the Open Championship, Wade Weezer, you know, I hope that everybody really appreciates the fact that we didn't have it last year. You know, sure. I know that Shane Lowry, the champion, does because he got the trophy, the Claret Jug yeah. for an extra year. <laughs> but it's back. We are about to go on a huge run in golf right here. We're going to kick off a couple really cool weeks. We have this, we have the Olympics, and we're going to go right into the FedEx Cup playoffs. So uh, lock and load, my friend. We are going to be busy, but you know who also is busy? The New Jersey Golf Foundation is committed to positively impacting lives and communities through the game of golf. The charitable arm of the New Jersey PGA section will host its 15th annual golf classic at Baltusrol Golf Club on Monday, August 9th. Limited spots are still available on the upper golf course at the famed championship venue. To register for the 2021 New Jersey Golf Foundation Golf Classic or for more information, please visit NewJerseyGolfFoundation.org or call 732-465-1212. Well, folks, it's about time for Hale Irwin. It's 310 p.m. here in New York, which makes it, what's that over there? 8, 10 p.m., Wade Weezer? <laughs> you said there'd be no math today. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Thanks for listening to ESPN 920. Be back in a moment with Golf's Hall of Famer. Keyshawn Johnson. Any quarterback that play underneath him is going to look crazy, and especially if they got any skill set. Jay Williams. I'm just tired of talking about what Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons don't do. I want to start talking about what Brett Brown needs to make them do. It's time to go to work, Brett. And Zubin Mahinte. I can promise you, I am as passionate about sports as you are. It is time to go to work. Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Zubin. Weekday morning starting at 6 on the new 920 ESPN. The New Jersey Golf Foundation, the charitable arm of the New Jersey PGA section, is committed to positively impacting lives and communities through the game of golf. Through a wide range of programming for youth, military veterans, and individuals with special needs, the NJGF champions a commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. 
so individuals from all backgrounds can experience the game of golf in a welcoming environment. To support programming, the New Jersey Golf Foundation will host its 15th annual Golf Classic at Baltusrol Golf Club on Monday, August 9th. Limited spots are still available on the upper golf course at the famed championship venue. To register for the 2021 Golf Classic or for more information, please visit NewJerseyGolfFoundation.org or call us at 732-465-1212. That's NewJerseyGolfFoundation.org or 732-465-1212. The New Jersey Golf Foundation, positively impacting lives and communities through the game of golf. Time to get back on course as the pro show continues. Great show and great questions. Once again, Keith Stewart. Welcome back to the pro show. I'm your host, Keith Stewart. You're listening to ESPN 920. Our guest this week has been taking care of business on tour for decades. A tremendous champion with five USGA major titles to his credit. This week, I sat down with Hall of Famer Hale Irwin. We talked U.S. Opens, the future of golf, the Open Championship, and tons more. Listen closely and you'll still be able to hear his competitive fire. Enjoy my conversation with one of golf's greatest champions. It's another major championship week, and today we are going to celebrate by speaking with a five-time USGA champion. He is none other than the Hall of Famer, Hale Irwin. Hale, welcome to the Pro Show. How are you today? I am doing great. It's wonderful to be here with you. I love talking about the game and uh, whatever comes our way about golf. Uh, we can combine our knowledge and see what we can come up with. Well, you know what's coming the way this week is the Open Championship mm-hmm. over there at Royal St. George's. Now, you know, I looked it up. You have a perfect record over there. 11 times played in the Open Championship, 11 cuts made, three top tens. Let's just jump in right there because it is a different style of golf. Why do you think your game was so transferable to going across the pond? Well, oddly enough, uh, I, th- I think the, the important thing about playing Lynx golf, and let's call Lynx, a course is hard by the sea, not an inland, what we might call Lynx in this country. You could go out on Long Island and call some of those courses Lynx, but you can't come into the middle of New Jersey and call it a Lynx course just because it doesn't have trees. Uh, a Lynx course is influenced by the tides and the ocean, and, and, and so those those are Lynx courses. So most of the courses in in the, the Open Championship uh, rotation are, are near the ocean. So you have to be able to play in wind. You have to control your ball. You have to put aside some of the prejudices you might be for hitting a driver every hole and, and back up and say, you know, I think playing short of those bunkers might be better than trying to knock it over those bunkers. Or maybe playing a little low shot and running it up onto the green is better than trying to fly it into the green. So those are decisions you have to make when you play a Lynx, a true Lynx course, is that the elements under which you're, you're operating your golf game are different than what you'll find in this country. And, and you have to have that flexibility. You know what? So flexibility might be the word. Every mm-hmm. time we hear about the U.S. Open last month, Torrey Pines, they always use the word patient, right? When you play a U.S. Mm-hmm. Open, you have to be patient. Of course, nobody knows that better than you, having won three of them and then two senior Opens, five total. But so flexibility for these men competing this week over there at Royal St. George's, you didn't compete at Royal St. George's in the 11 times that you went over. No. Is there a big difference you feel like between the Scottish courses and the English courses in the Rota? Uh, not 
Not a big difference. Uh, it would be, if you were to play a Parkland golf course in this country, for instance, is it going to be different than the next one you might play? Well, yeah, it's going to be different, but you're still influenced by pretty much how far in the air you're going to carry it. It's a carry game over here. When you play the in the Open Championship in the, in the UK, whether it be in Scotland, whether it be in Ireland, whether it be in Wales, whether it be in England, it does not matter. If you're playing hard by the sea, you're going to have wind, and wind really dictates how you play a golf course over there. And the fact that they're playing at St. George, which can get windy down on the southern tip of England, it it will require those players today that can control their golf ball. And most of the times, as you well know, you'll have manufacturers that say the wind really doesn't affect our ball. You know, they'll tell you, don't worry about the wind. Well, I'm telling you, you better worry about the wind because it's a steady, heavy wind, and it could be blowing 15 miles an hour. And that 15 on the ocean or near the ocean is a lot different than the 15 you'll find inland. So that's why I say you have to be somewhat flexible in how you approach playing from day to day because it, it can change with the tides, literally. So uh, I've always felt like, I was never a good cold weather player, uh, even though I did a lot of my formative years in Colorado. I, I wasn't a good cold weather golfer, and that was. And I used to wear glasses, so when I went over to the the British Open or the Open Championship, it's going to be cool, and it's going to rain a lot, and so that was kind of tough for for me uh, to really feel comfortable in in playing successfully. And the second factor was that it meant to prepare for it properly and to play in it was at least a two-week process. And I just felt like my kids are out of school. I didn't want to be gone two weeks of the summer, sacrifice uh, my family for another golf tournament. I, I just didn't feel right doing that. So there were many times I didn't go when perhaps I could have. I wanted to spend that quality time with my kids. Well, I think that's an important lesson too. Uh, I'm a dad myself, yeah. um, as well as a traveling golfer from time to time. So I, you know, I really enjoy that sentiment as well. Now, speaking of being a traveling golfer, all right, I, I want to get into a little bit of your the length of your career and for how long you had success. So you won a U.S. Open in the '70s, and you also won one in the '90s. All right. At one point in your career, you you made 86 PGA Tour cuts in a row, and I still think to this day the number one Tiger record is going to be the 142 cuts in a row. I mean, that level of longevity. And you talk about being flexible going to the Open Championship and playing all these different places. What do you feel like, looking back, made your game so transferable for such a long period of time? Well, uh, the, the I would have to say I think my game was not predicated upon one particular part of my game. Uh, you can be a great chipper and putter, but maybe you don't hit the driver or the irons very well. Uh, you might be a great driver, but everything else is a little bit ordinary. I think my game uh, predicated itself upon uh, keeping the ball in play. I could have hit the ball longer, but I always kind of tried to keep timing and rhythm as, as a, uh, a part of the mainstay of a good golf swing. And that, I mean, I was average length I, if i hit it i could get it out there a little farther but that wasn't imperative imperative to me was to keep it in play and then if i had uh, a five iron in my hands well that five iron was still a scoring club if it was a three iron it's still a scoring club if it was a wedge well i'm just a little closer i looked at all my irons as scoring clubs but i gave myself 
if I can hit a wedge consistently within 10 feet left or right of the hole, that's a pretty good shot. If I can hit a three iron or two iron consistently within 25, 30 feet of the hole, that's a pretty good shot. So I just kind of widened that funnel and I, so I, I, let, I let myself do what I could do best. And, and I would hit a lot of greens. And I was never known as a great putter, I think because they'd look at the total number of putts. Because I've hit a lot of greens, my putt numbers would be high, but I was, in my mind, I was a very good putter. So I don't think you win tournaments without being a good putter. So, and and I, I managed what I had fairly well. I, I could give myself on-course uh, lesson, if you wish. I could change things because I knew what I could do. And, and I didn't try to go beyond my what I knew I could do. So all that is saying is that I, I managed what I had, I think, fairly well. I didn't try to go beyond what I was comfortable doing. That flexibility that we just talked about, I, sure. I tried to be flexible in my approach to how to play it. If, if the pin's in a particularly awkward spot, well then, why go with the pin? Let's find a way to put it over there on the green somewhere and okay so I've got a 35 foot putt at least I don't have a 50 foot bunker shot or a you know a short-sighted shot so you just have to kind of weigh your options and, and what is the best way to go about playing the game you know what folks if you're just joining us this afternoon that historic voice is a five-time USGA champion his name is Hale Irwin and he's with us this afternoon on the pro show and he just gave us some valuable lessons now there's a lot of rumors that go around the golf universe right I, I need you to dispel one that I heard. Is it? Were you on the phone with Phil Mickelson prior to Kiowa and give him some keys to playing later on in life? Because a lot of people are making a big deal about him winning a major at 50, but you won your last U.S. Open. You were 45 years old. You know, so there's certainly some kind of keys. And when you watched him play, what was your kind of reaction to hit to him kind of? being 50 and winning a major championship. Well, it doesn't surprise me. It really doesn't, simply because I think in today's uh, world of a sport, and, and in particular golf, and you see this, is that people are more fit at the professional level. They, are, they train better, uh, they work out, they're stronger. They're, they're bigger men now, and, and women too. They're, they're fit. They're, they're individuals that are, are more athletically inclined than perhaps we were 30 and 40 years ago. So... But I've always felt like being, being in sports my whole life that I was fit enough to maintain some longevity. It's, uh, and I didn't give up on myself. In fact, the best golf in terms of shot execution and playing and hitting the things I wanted to do, and I was 52 years old. I, I hit the ball better at 52 years old than I did at any point in my life. Now, I'm not talking about just results uh, and winnings. Sure. I'm talking about... Just this shot is what's required, and I could hit that. And maybe in years past, I could, but maybe not as well. I, I was very sure about what I was doing, very confident, and I was 52 years old. Um, and so when I see Phil doing what he's doing, no, that doesn't surprise me. I look at Bernard Longer on PGA Tour Champions now. Sure. At 62 years old, doing what he, that doesn't surprise me. Because golf can be played into your, your later years, but you do have to maintain some degree of of strength and flexibility. And, and that flexibility can go a lot of ways. And it's not always um, your your health, it's just your heart. Is it? Well, yeah, there's health issues. And like I tell people now, Father Time and Mother Nature are teaming up. They're, they're conspiring beasts at this point in my life. Sure. But 
that's what you have to weigh and what can you do and what can't you do and, and, and understand that. Well, there's no doubt that there's two undefeated people in the world, right? Mother Nature, Father Time, you just mentioned them. And, and uniquely enough, I think also, you know, Phil mentioned a lot about the mental side of things. And when I used to watch you compete on television, you always looked so focused for 40 something years on tour. I get the physical aspect of it, and enough has been said, enough has been written about what people do to work out in order to prepare their body. Is there something special that you were able to do to prepare your mind to be someone who could hit 16 greens around, to be somebody who could be patient and not always try to go for it on a par five? You know, was there was there a secret inside there? Well, I don't know if it's a secret, but I think it's a realization that we are imperfect, and, and therefore you have to step back sometimes and say, okay, if I'm not gonna be perfect, then what am I going to be? You have to come to an understanding about who you are and be re realistic about it. Uh, you gotta look at that mirror and say, what what am I? And not just today, but what, what's in my heart? And the brain and the heart have to talk. They have to understand, they have to have a dialogue. It can't be, well, I hope I can do this. Uh, maybe I'll do that. No, you have to have a, it's not necessarily a plan. That plan has flexibility to it, but it has to be something that you're comfortable doing. Plus, I think as a being a young boy growing up in a, a small town, and I've always played all the sports. And you know, in college, I was on a football scholarship. So I, I, I had competitive bred into me. I wasn't going to back up. Now, you might beat me. Give you credit. You might beat me but you're never gonna out-try me. I, I love will always try harder than you. You can beat me, but I'll never walk away saying I didn't give it my best. And, and that's what you have to be happy with. I love that. I, I love that aspect. And that's, I figured there had to be something like that inside mm -hmm. you. But that doesn't always just happen naturally. You know, mm -hmm. we start to talk nature nurture. Was there a parent, was there, um, was there a mentor in golf or in sports when you were a kid? Was there a high school coach that instilled that I am going to try as hard as I can on each and every endeavor that I have? Well, no, I, I've, I've never had a, a, a mentor in, in any sport. Uh, I've never had a lesson in the game of golf. Uh, if you went out and gave me a lesson, it would be the first one I've ever had. That doesn't mean I haven't had tips from fellow pros or something, but I've never had a, a formal lesson. Um, self-taught might be a better term and, and that's not to say that that's the best way but that was the only when I was a kid where I grew up you didn't have those things it was a very small town and it was uh, very much of a, <laughs> a laid-back town uh, so it, it had to have come from my parents particularly my father uh, he once told me and I never forget this. There have been a couple of instances where it's really been applicable. Uh, he said, never start something that you can't finish. And that means when I tee off on that first hole, don't start the round without giving it everything you've got until it's over. And just a real quick story. I was in 1976, I was going to withdraw from a tournament in Florida. I'd, I'd been playing a lot and I wanted to go see my family and, and I'd never withdrawn from a tournament. And, so I told an official, I said, uh, I'm withdrawing. He said, okay. And I said, what else? He said, you've told us. So I went in, I started cleaning out my locker and it didn't feel right. And I could sense my father sitting on my shoulder telling me, don't start something to get finished. Okay, so I'll miss the cut. I'll just play one more day. And so I'd opened with 74, which was such a good score. I came back the next day with 64. Now I make the cut. 
I followed up with two 66s on the weekend. End up tying for the tournament. We play two holes in the dark for a playoff. Come back the next day, I win on the fourth extra hole. Now, I had gone from Thursday withdrawing to winning the tournament, and that just showed me you don't start something you can't finish. So once you make up your mind to get after it, stay after it. Give it everything you got. You, you may not accomplish what you hope to, but you don't cheat yourself by a lack of effort. And that's what I've learned. So the competitive part of me has kind of come from my father and my mother who were uh, grew up in the World War One and World War Two. They gave up a lot for their their sons. Uh, I, I that's part of my heritage, and I'm very proud of that. But the mentor would have had to have been my my father. He he wasn't a professional. He was just a no nonsense kind of a guy. And when he spoke, he didn't speak much. But when he spoke, you you listened. But I think it's something that you're born with, but you can acquire these skills. You can acquire it, but you have to look down inside yourself. And some people, I think, are afraid to look at themselves, and don't be. There, sure. there could be a there could be a friend in there. Let that friend be your friend. Let let you be your friend. It's okay. And we're not you're not being selfish that way in this world of of it's all about me. Sure. And 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 the. Self-promotion, it's not what it's about. It's just you finding who you are to be a better person or a better athlete or a better whatever it is you're doing to be better at it, to understand what makes you tick. And it's, it's a lot of fun discovering that. You know, parents are great for what you just brought up. And I have two great parents and my father used to always say, every story, which could be a task or a goal or whatever it is, has a beginning, a middle and an end, mm -hmm. which is the same thing as what mm -hmm. you're talking yeah. about. And don't get involved in something if you're not going to begin it, prepare, if you're not going to actually try your hardest in the middle and then figure out a way to get to make it done and to complete right. it. Right. So, folks, we are being joined this afternoon by Hale Irwin. We have to have a little beginning, middle and end here. Right. We had the beginning of this interview, the middle. We got to go to a quick commercial break and we'll be back for the end in just a couple seconds. Thanks for joining us this afternoon on ESPN 920. John Johnson. Any quarterback that play underneath him is going to look crazy, and especially if they got any skill set. Jay Williams. I'm just tired of talking about what Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons don't do. I want to start talking about what Brett Brown needs to make them do. It's time to go to work, Brett. And Subin Mahente. I can promise you, I am as passionate about sports as you are. It is time to go to work. Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Zubin. Weekday morning starting at 6 on the new 920 ESPN. Today's interview is brought to you by our friends at Beedratty. Beedratty is known for their irrationally comfortable Peruvian Pima cotton polos. But did you know they've branched into new categories? You must try like boxers, layers, button downs, and even performance fabrics with their Dratty Sport. The theme with all of their products is meticulous attention to detail. Details most companies choose to overlook. Be Dratty thoughtfully considers like our favorite Russell quarter zip where the front pouch is sewn into the garment and not topped on, allowing for a slimmer, less bulky fit. Shop the entire Be Dratty line at BeDratty.com and receive 25% off with our exclusive discount code KJS25. You got a great voice. Radio. Time to get back on course. Face for radio. I, I get a lot of that too. As the pro show continues, once again, Keith Stewart. It's the pro show, and I'm Keith Stewart. Welcome back to our conversation with Hale Irwin. You know you're listening to New Jersey's ESPN 920. 
It's been nothing but good times talking to one of golf's greatest competitors. Let's get to the back nine of our conversation with this golfing legend. All right, we're back. And as we begin the back nine of today's show, I'm curious about something. Today's guest was a two-time all-conference defensive back in college, an NCAA collegiate golf champion, all while at the University of Colorado. So Hale, so many young athletes specialize today. What advice do you have for kids and parents who play sports in elementary school, middle school, high school, should they specialize? Should they play everything? I mean, I think I know where you're going to go with this, but um, how can you translate it to a modern audience for me? Well, I would speak to the parents first. I would say, let the children do what they want to do. Uh, encourage them to be multi-sport participants, simply because if they are going to focus on swimming or track or football or basketball, whatever that may be, they're going to get cross-training. They're going to get hand-eye coordination. They're going to get footwork. They're going to get... Uh, their body will be trained in in different ways and the golf swing itself just to speak specifically to the golf swing it's all parts are moving it's not a static game and and I think it's important for kids development to understand what soccer's like what understand uh, understand what maybe what football or basketball or baseball and and how they work team sports versus individual sports, how they come together, what are the, the disciplines required to play both? Uh, what do you have to do as, a, as an individual to play a team sport? What do you do as an individual to play an individual sport? They, they, they're the same things. And for parents to push their children or coaches to push their kids that they have under their uh, leadership to do one thing and one thing only. I think it's robbing that, that particular kid from being something other than what the coach might want him to be or what the parents might want them to be. I see it way too often, I'm sure you do too, and I'm sure people listening can probably see it themselves if they just step back and take a look. It's not healthy for that kid. And they will emerge better at the end of this quest, whatever it is, by being a better athlete and they'll find their way to that sport whatever it is or that activity they'll they'll find it and all you need is a little encouragement you don't need to be pounding on them all the time because they'll lose interest right away you know i will undoubtedly say that in 25 years of working at a golf club and teaching junior golf that the kids that are musicians multi-sport athletes um, performers are the ones that are the most adaptable have the most flexibility have the most patience. And they, without a doubt, they understand themselves and their own limitations rather than somebody bestowing upon them and saying, no, you can do more or you can't or so on and so forth. So it, it's really interesting because golf's not a static game. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of conversation right now. And I think back to being a kid, watching you play those King Cobra irons, it just resonated with me so much. And I think that those King Cobra irons, they were cavity back. They were then, at that time, there was a transition going on in the game. We are witnessing another transition now, and there's a boom happening at the same time, whether you want to call it Bryson or the athleticism of so on and so forth. How do you feel about this transition? Boy, this is a, a deep subject, isn't it? We could spend days on this discussion, but I bit. think for the, uh, 
for the betterment of golf, if the average player, whatever that is, I don't know what an average player is, but let's just say, because you, you mentioned Bryson DeChambeau, how, how far he's hitting the golf ball now. The, there's the technology out there now where, where golf balls are going to soon be going 400 yards again with a guy like that. Now, that, will that trickle down to the club player, to the average? Here we have that average sure, again. Average. Will that trickle down? Probably not. The bulk of our golfing population does not see all the benefits of the technology because they don't have the skill sets to do it. They don't have the strength or the skill sets, the feel, to get all this stuff that's coming out. Now, the better players, they do because they can create club head speed. They can see the, the increase in distance is going to come more readily to them because sure. of their club head speed, ball speed, than the average club. I'll just speak for myself. I went from 100 and whatever it was, club head speed at once upon a time, and I got my distance. Now I'm down there maybe in low 90s, and there's a huge difference in my distance now. What might have been the average once upon a time, now I am below average, but I'm still better than the average person. So, I mean, I'm seeing it in my game. At, at the age of 76, I can't create that speed anymore. I, I just can't, and I understand that. But the, how far I've come back in just a couple of years is, because I'm playing the same courses that I've played before, so sure. it's not me against you, it's me against me from last year. I'm five to 10 yards short of where I used to be. And that's not because I'm, I'm hitting it worse. I just don't, my club head speed is down a little. So the more club head speed you create, the more disproportionate becomes your distance. You may swing at 110 or 15 miles an hour and you're gonna get 30 yards out of that. Mm -hmm. I come back and I'm gonna get three inches. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an exponential scale, it there's is. no doubt. It is, so, yeah. but I, and I guess, my concern is that we have newer courses. How are they going to accommodate this broad spectrum of golf? We have the, the very best or the longest best amateurs or pros down to the beginning. We're going to have to have courses that measure from you know, not very long to super, super duper long. Well, how do you take some of these old traditional great golf courses and add another 500 yards? You can't. Yeah, it doesn't seem right. It, it, it can't, it, there's no room. It sure. becomes too too expensive to start with. So I'm, I wish we could simply just bring the ball back a little bit. And then maybe let's say decrease the driver size from 460 cc's down to 360. Now you got a little smaller head. It's not gonna rebound as much. You gotta hit it more in the middle. You gotta play the game the way the game's designed to be played. Uh, you know, perhaps we take this, the anchoring, whether it be a chest or I, I'm talking at the professional level, at the best level. I'm not the club level. Have fun, do it. But the professional level and the better players, they are kind of the, the photograph that we all look at. That's what we try to do. And and I'm I'm concerned that we're we're getting to the point that where the scale is being tipped way too far in the direction of technological gain rather than individual merit. Honestly, I appreciate you sharing that with us because it's it's a complicated conversation. It is. Right? Um, you are proud of your personal record and what you did, but at the same time, you want to see the game carry on for your grandkids and their kids and so on and so forth. So when I have someone sitting in front of me that has the perspective that you do, 
I'm curious as a PGA professional how you feel about it because you have such a wonderful record in the game, but things evolve. They just do. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not a static game. Before I let you go, I, I want to ask you a quick question. Every time I'm sitting with somebody who has experienced something in golf <clears throat> that is one of those events that everybody thinks about that kind of transcended the game. And we haven't had a Ryder Cup in what will be three years. This Ryder Cup might be the most heavily anticipated Ryder Cup, albeit maybe yours in 91, going to the ocean course, right? What do you think we all need to be prepared for as an audience getting ready for September? I mean, this, is, this thing is gonna be you know, almost out of control and you were at a very out of control um, exhibition match per se. So could you share with us one quick story about that and, and maybe how it compares to what what's going to happen in September? Well, the the Ryder Cup that you're referring to is in 1991 at Kiowa and we had uh, two very evenly matched teams at the time and of course the in years prior I was on knock on wood I was on five Ryder Cup teams but I hadn't been on one for 10 years and, and those Four previous was, we were pretty much destined to win because we could put up 12 really capable players and the UK could put up eight or nine, 10 really good players, but they were always missing a few at the, the, the caliber. They could play, don't get me wrong, but there's we could overwhelm them in talent uh, in over a three-day period. But then during the 80s, that changed because they, they brought in the continent of Europe. They yes. brought in... Uh, uh, Bernard Longer. They brought in a Seve Ballesteros. They brought in some of the Spaniards and the, for the continent, and that. So now their their depth chart became equal to ours, and where they still persevere is their want to win. Okay. Right. Now this year, now Steve Stricker, nice guy. He plays PGA Tour champion. Still plays. He's really a good guy. He'll be a good captain. He's got six picks and six guys on MMA. Back in the old days, it was 10 picks and two. So why the six and six? I, that's gonna to be tough. Do you just say, hey, as a captain, I'm gonna take the top 12, or gonna take six and I'm gonna go down. How do, you, how do you make this team cohesive that hasn't been as cohesive as the other team has been in years past? Yeah. Now you could take the Roy or McElroys and People like that, the Justin Roses, and they are very, very good players. And they form the nucleus of a team that is more cohesive in beating the Yanks than we are in our little rumblings amongst ourselves, maybe some disagreements amongst the team, Sure. than focusing on winning over there. So it's not so much a talent level now, it's the attitude that our team carries and the attitude that their team carries. Can it become cohesive enough to beat them? In 1991, how did you guys become cohesive? Because you were a tight group. You could well, see it we, on TV. Well, we had, uh, well, other than myself, let's just say, that, set me aside, but we had Ray Floyd, we had Payne Stewart, we had, uh, we had guys that are really playing well. And the guy probably playing the very best at the time was Steve Pate. And the evening before the matches started at the kind of the opening ceremonial dinner the night before, the limo in which he was riding got in a wreck and he was injured. He hurt his ribs, so he couldn't play. 
So now we were now the 11 against 12. And so it became a very difficult time. And, and so it, it, it stretched our forces thin, if you wish. And fortunately for us, we were playing in the United States. We did have uh, a following, if you wish, and, and I kind of, I kind of pushed back a little bit of the war at the shore because if people understand that was the Kuwaiti war was going on at the time and we weren't soldiers. We weren't, you know, suffering through some of the uh, life agonizing moments of, of real artillery and real bullets and, and real war. Uh, so I, yeah, I'm a little, little indifferent about that, but we had a very even, literally down to the last stroke, who was going to win or lose. So to be involved with something like that was just absolutely fantastic. And I, I say to people, they say, what's the most exciting time in your life? What, what maybe made your career or defined your career? And I would say, well, the first thing would have been the father-son term, which my son and I won, because I got to do something with my son that was so totally exhilaratingly fun. My three open championship wins, of course. You know, my five US, or, um, two US senior open, then the Ryder Cup in 91. What about the other Ryder Cups? Well, they weren't nearly like this one. I'm talking about here in 1990, I won the US Open at the age of 45 in a playoff with Mike Donald. And 15 months later, I have this Ryder Cup experience. So two of the biggest highs that you could possibly have in anyone's career. I had two of them in the space of 15 months in the latter part of my career. So how good can it get? Well, it gets that way because you appreciate it more. Okay. You understand that it's not just about me. And I think our team has to understand it's not just about me. It's about how can I affect my teammates in a positive way? How can I draw from them to make me play better? You kind of get together for a week's time and these guys, while they're friends, they're also your competitors, but now you are one, hopefully. You're not just 12 guys, you are one. And that's what this team from the UK has. They have that ability to connect with one another that I think we've lost through the years. You know what? One thing we haven't lost and it's not lost on me today, is your ability to connect with my generation of golfers and golfers younger than me. Hale, you have been a tremendous gentleman and to spend the time with me today, I, I can't thank you enough. I really appreciate you bringing this interview to the end and completing <laughs> it. I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. Well, it's been a pleasure. Anytime we can talk golf and where we're going with it and where we've been with it, I think it's important for younger people to know the history of our game. Who really got us going down this path that has brought such fun and excitement and, and life skills to us? And golf does emulate a lot of life skills. Oh, yes. And so uh, I think it's important for those, those kids coming up in the game to be indoctrinated into that. And, uh, and it's a good indoctrination. It's not a bad one by any means. And to understand themselves, they'll make them a better person, make them a better team member in whatever company they, they choose to work. And, it just makes makes them a better life partner. Well, you know what? I'm a better person for being with you today. Can't thank you enough. Well, thank you. It's been my pleasure. That was a fantastic conversation with one of the game's greats. Now, before we get to the weekly update, you know we're fast approaching 4 p.m. Thanks for listening to ESPN 920. We'll be back in a moment.
Kellerman Show. You know, there was no one there like, hey, where's that guy we just hired? He just stopped showing up suddenly 15 years ago. So he got away with it, 650 Gs. And now he's being sued. I don't know. I, you can't just not show up for work. But, but if he's not, like, doing anything fraudulent and they're just sending him the checks, I mean, why wouldn't he just deposit it in his account? The Max Kellerman Show, weekdays at 2 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Watch exclusively on ESPN+. Join the thousands of golfers who already call Stick and Hack their home for the best golf stories, original podcasts, special events, member perks, and an active community of golfers across North America. Up until now, the golf media landscape lived somewhere between straight PGA coverage or idiots wrecking golf carts. We take a different approach by celebrating all sides of golf, life, and all the ways this amazing game connects sticks and hacks every day. Your free membership entitles you to discounts from major brands all over the country while connecting you with like-minded golfers for discussion, tips, or even a round of golf. So head to stickandhack.com and enjoy the world's greatest golf club without the course. Get ready for the back nine. As the pro show continues, once again, the director of fun, Keith Stewart. Welcome back to the pro show. I'm your host, Keith Stewart. You know me as the director of fun. You're listening to ESPN 920. Well, just like the 149th Open Championship, you can stream this show anywhere in the world. Just go to 920ESPNNewJersey.com. Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. If you like the show, you know, there's another like 170 shows out there in our archive on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon. Check them out. For now, a little rock and roll. You had something to hide. You should have hidden it, shouldn't you? And now you're not satisfied. Oh, I remember that groove from many decades ago there, Mr. Wade Weezer. Now, you had me this week because the random assortment of music that you have put together, the collection for Hale, mm-hmm. it was definitely um, eclectic. And uh, I know during the last break, uh, I actually, it's not often I have to do this, but I had to ask, right, what was going on there, you know, and you were nice enough to explain that, you know, Hale won his three U.S. Opens in 74, 79, and 1990, and each of the songs that we chose today were popular in that year. So uh, Incorrect. I, They're absolutely random. If that's the way it fell, then that's the way they fell. Just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nothing we do is I mean, random shuffle on apple music that's what came out yes yeah i'm sure yeah um bachman turner overdrive <laughs> is in an algorithm with depeche mode there's yes. there's no doubt about that um but you know what there is no doubt about if you want the high draw check low fade check bump and run out of the sand or flop shot check check and check well folks we're talking about the tailor-made tp5 and tp5x and i have this fabulous read here but i'm going to break it down for you i've been playing a bunch of golf lately and i use the tp5 and let me tell you something when it goes against the script and you know who i'm talking about you pro v1 folks out there it goes further it just does i'm not getting any younger and neither is wade but the fact of the matter is when we're hitting golf shots i I'm saying what I'm saying. And the I'm fact getting, I am getting younger, but go ahead. No, you're not. No, you're not. And the point is, is that if you want the ball to go further and you want the golf ball to be durable, this TP5 and TP5X is something you got to try. Just try it. It's one golf ball. But I promise you, when you do, you'll be very happy with the results. If you want to learn more about their golf balls at TaylorMade, the TP5 and TP5X, and find a ball fitting near you, head to TaylorMadeGolf.com. 
Furyk figures it out. Congrats to Jim Furyk for winning the U.S. Senior Open Sunday afternoon in Omaha, Nebraska. With a final round 71 and a seven under total, he managed a three-shot victory over Retief Goosen and Mike Weir. He now joins a pretty significant list of folks who have all won a U.S. Open and a U.S. Senior Open in their career. You know, the likes of Jack Nicholas, Arnold Palmer, Gary Player, Lee Trevino, and of course, Hale Irwin. Mm-hmm, right. Today's Hale, right? So congratulations to Jim Furyk for joining. What a prestigious list. And uh, to those who watched on Sunday, how about his caddy, Mike Fluff Cowan? Yes, the same Fluff who caddied for Tiger in his 1997 Masters win. That historic win. You know, Fluff started caddying in 1976. That's 45 wow. years ago. He's 73 years old. Oh, wow. I mean, he's carrying this like 40, 50 pound bag. I'm watching this on Sunday, right? I, I mean, Wade, honestly, how many miles do you think this guy has walked in his lifetime? Sure. Carrying bags, too. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no <laughs> doubt. Yes. Part of the job. All right. Some marathons are longer than others. The Marathon LPGA Classic was reduced to a 54-hole tournament after poor weather conditions made the course unplayable. Nasa Hataoka led the tournament by six shots going into the final round in Sylvania, Ohio. She hit two shots on Sunday before players were removed from the course. LPGA Senior Manager of Rules and Competition, Donna Mummert, explained why the tournament was reduced to 54 holes despite all players having teed off in the final round. She said, we were able to start on time and played through the rain. But at 9.40 a.m., we started losing the greens, and the rain just continued. It just kept raining and raining and raining. So knowing that everybody is working really, really hard to try to get this to a 72-hole tournament, you know, we wish we could have made it happen. Even NASA said, you know, she sat through a seven-hour rain delay. The LPGA said later in a tweet that finishing the tournament tomorrow is not an option. Due to another unfavorable forecast, this week's event started on a Wednesday. They tried to get ahead of the Open Championship, which was a really cool partners event uh, called the Dow Great Lakes Bay Invitational, which was in Michigan. So they just couldn't get it done. And, you know, it sounds like NASA, in a manner of speaking, was able to weather the storm well, where's my boo sound effect? I can't find it. All right. You got off lucky. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, I love this one. Paul Larson is putting on a show. Royal St. George's greenkeeper. Paul Larson has become a celebrity this week, not necessarily for his fine work on the golf course. And the course is in impeccable shape, mind you, but rather his look. So you got to Google this guy, Paul Larson, right? Okay. The man who managed to keep this golf course in perfect shape cannot seem to control his own hair. You got to see it, man. I see see him. I see him right now. All right. If you haven't seen him on social media, remember the cure? How old is he? Um, uh, he, he Probably he's got to be in his, you know, (laughs) mid to late 40s. Yeah, here we go. All right. (laughs) This is what he looks like. Yeah. Well, you know, every Friday I'm in love with you. Oh, thanks. There you go. All right. You remember the band The Cure from Blackpool, England back in the late 80s and 90s? Well, he's the spitting image of their frontman, Robert Smith. Quite a unique look. Quite a unique look for a greenkeeper. But that's what makes this championship so great. Seriously, Brandel Chambly no longer has the greatest hair in golf. No. This guy. He's lost Follow him on Twitter. Unbelievable. That's crazy. Not not a look you typically like want to emulate in certainly in 2021, but hey, whatever works. Who, who am I to criticize? Look at my hair. Royal St. George's greenkeeper. <laughs> 
looks like the front man for the cure. Yeah, it's a sentence you don't hear often. Oh, I love it. All right. Bryson spectators come under fire Tuesday in the press room. Bryson's willingness to yell for when he hits an errant tee shot has come under scrutiny. The reporter believes he doesn't. And Bryson says that he does 99% of the time. In fact, Bryson quit back. I don't appreciate this question. Ooh. Social media and golf Twitter took this case and ran with it, of course. Yeah. There were at least a dozen different videos compiled of Bryson bombing away and just picking up his tee. Just not even doing anything. So even Tommy Fleetwood's caddy got in the conversation by tweeting out for for a scientist. He sure doesn't know what 99 percent means. Not sure where the reporter was trying to go at this, but he certainly got Bryson's ire up. More to come on this for sure. Uh, in a related story, Brooks, he still doesn't like Bryson. No, it hasn't changed. DJ plays the name game. Oh, you know, I love DJ in the press room and the open championship. He did not disappoint. He was asked, what did you call the tournament growing up and what do you call it now? Of course, DJ says, well, growing up, it was the British Open and now I call it the Open Championship. Next question. How come that changed? DJ, because that's the name of it. Next question. (laughs) Does it annoy you when you hear a lot of Americans call it the British Open now? DJ, no, doesn't bother me. I, I know what they're talking about. Next question. We don't call it the U.S. Masters anymore. DJ, you could if you wanted to. (laughs) DJ's the best in the press room. The number one golfer in the world always keeps it simple and to the point. If you want to. Keep them them coming, Dustin. We we love you. That's great. All right. Oh, boy. He's back. Yes. Yesterday. Bryson is no snake charmer. (laughs) I knew who you were going to be talking about. Yes, of course. What do we do without our boy Bryson as well? Right. Well. Following yesterday's round at Royal St. George's, Bryson was caught saying this about his Cobra driver. With the driver right now, the driver sucks. Oh, <laughs> oops. Aww. It's not a good face for me. And we're still trying to figure out how to make it good on the mishits. I'm living on the razor's edge, like I've told people for a long time. Well, one Cobra rep responded, everybody is bending over backwards. We've got multiple guys in R&D who are trying to get this and that in the pipeline faster. It's just really, really painful when he says something stupid. He has never really been happy, ever. Well, by the way, that was from Ben Showman. That's the Cobra's tour manager. And the guy who filled in for him when his caddy left him at the Rocket Mortgage Classic two weeks ago. Oh, yes. A second Cobra rep responds by saying, it's like an eight-year-old when he gets mad at you. (laughs) They might fly off the handle and say, I hate you. But then you go, well, no, you don't. So I'm not sure if this was related, but Brooks tweeted that yesterday was officially Driver Appreciation Day. Are you crying? Are you crying? There's no crying. (laughs) Of course, Bryson heads to Tokyo next to represent our nation. Let's hope things go well there. Who knows what he could end up saying about us? Yeah. All right. Well, yes, exactly. (laughs) Hey, you know what, Wade? That's your pro show update for the Open Championship Week ending July 16th, 2021. Many thanks to our sponsors. Week in and week out, you know them as TaylorMade Golf, New Jersey Golf Foundation, and Summit Golf Brands. Next week on The Pro Show, we are going to host a golf personality and podcast aficionado named Colin Weston. Cool guy from out there on the left coast. I love his take on things. He hosts the Mod Golf Podcast. It's going to be a cool conversation. I look forward to that. 
Producer Wade Weezer, great weekend, my friend. Most importantly, my listeners, you have a great weekend, too. Do something fun outdoors and enjoy the summertime. Now, before I go, I'm going to leave you all with one brief thought about being resilient. Embrace your insecurity. We all have issues, but an equal balance of adaptability and assurance can carry you past most obstacles. Each challenge we face is a moment to build our self-confidence, and self-confidence is what leads to success. I'm your host, Keith Stewart, and this is The Pro Show. Thanks for joining us for today's show. The Pro Show with Keith Stewart returns to the T next Friday at 3 on ESPN 920.